This ad-free podcast is part of your Slate Plus membership. Lucky you. Hello and welcome back to Big Mood, Little Mood. I am your host, Daniel M. Lavery, and with me in the studio this week are two guests, Anna Rubinova, who is a writer, producer, animator, and voice actor based in Los Angeles, and Adam Bozarth, also a writer, producer, animator, and voice actor based in Los Angeles. Anna and Adam are both founding members of the sketch comedy group Left Handed Radio, and they are both producers at the Forever Dog Podcast Network. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having us. This is going to be fun. I am very much looking forward to this. And um, I can only hope that your sketch comedy group is either referring to the work of Aleister Crowley or even better, uh, the European tradition of morganatic marriages. Either way, I'm happy with it. Uh, It is just a reference to just general sinisterness in general. But can you actually expound upon the uh, morganic marriages a little bit more just to, to educate us? I, I would be happy to, based on my incredibly cursory understanding of what morganatic marriages are, um, which is sometimes they have also been referred to as left-handed marriages. And they refer to usually a monarch marrying somebody who is not either of royal or noble blood in such a way that it's like written into law that this person is not going to be, you know, co-regnant. This person's children are not going to inherit uh, anything in terms of like uh, the order of succession. Like, this is a legal marriage, but just barely. Um, so it's like a step between <laughs> wow. having a formal mistress uh, versus, like, a a wife who is a queen as well. Um, and uh, I just think it's such a great <laughs> phrase. Like, oh, they were married according to the tradition of the left hand. That's amazing. Um, we're vaguely aware of what left-handed refers to, you know, historically. Um, The origin of it is uh, one of our founding members, Brett White, wrote a sketch about uh, the X-Men smelling marijuana in a parking lot. And Wolverine refers to it as a left-handed cigarette. (laughs) This was, of course, before marijuana was legal anywhere in the country except medicinally in a couple of places. It's just, (laughs) it's folksy, it's churchy, it's judgy. (laughs) It's everything Uh, you needed more. It's there's something. Yeah, there's just something about it. It's there's a flavor to calling it that. And what kind of what has backfired about calling it left handed radio is that uh, SEO searches will just go like, hey, it's left handers day. And we're like, we have nothing to do with that. Like, I'm I'm glad everybody is proud of their left handedness. If you are left handed out there, that's it's very great. But that's not what the show's about. I, I couldn't have, it would, I mean, what in the Ned Flanders would a show about being left-handed be like? Also, the Crowley thing, probably 100%. I know I, I was the last person added to the group, so I had no say in the name. But there's definitely 80% of the group was aware of Crowley, was into Crowley. <laughs> Wouldn't tell me what it meant. <laughs> At the intersection of Alistair Crowley and Ned Flanders is, I think, a very good place to be. Uh, and and exactly where we are. That, yeah. that is not a joke. <laughs> it's not a joke. <laughs> good. I'm also glad uh, you you had brought up something that will be relevant to our second letter, which is 
I'm so looking forward to answering that one. It's, you know, spoiler alert, it's mostly from somebody very sweet who wants to get some weed um, and wants to know more about how you might try to get some. And a lot of the questions that I answer on this show are very, very sad sometimes, very serious sometimes. And it's really nice that today we get to dedicate a few minutes just to saying like, how would you go about getting weed if you didn't know anyone who smoked weed? So we'll start with our first letter because we can't get to any of the other letters until we do that one. I know how the order of operations works. And uh, I'll go ahead and read our first one. The subject is discard the honesty. I'm a 20-year-old woman and my boyfriend of one year is 29. I'm his first girlfriend and honestly, it shows. He knows how to make me feel special with compliments and doing little things for me. However, he's also really insensitive sometimes and calls it honesty. The things he says are honest, it's true, but they are also often very rude. When I talk to him about how he hurts me, he doesn't seem to be able to understand why I'm upset. He apologizes because he hates seeing me unhappy, but I don't really see much change afterwards. How can I kindly explain to him that I don't mind his honesty, just the rudeness with which he constantly presents it? I love him so much, but I'm angry. And I'm afraid that next time this happens, I'll say something I don't mean. Please help me. Oh, wow. this is what yeah. we refer to in the business as a starter boyfriend and <laughs> letter writer. Yeah. I, I realize that you love this guy, but I think maybe you have reached the end of the road with this starter boyfriend. I, I often get questions that are sort of like, I've tried explaining to someone why they're hurting my feelings a number of times. They keep doing it. How can I kindly explain it to them? Like, clearly the issue here is not that she has been insufficiently kind or not tried to explain it before, but she still feels like that's going to be my ticket out of here. Do either of you, by the way, I should say, have a vote for anything other than breaking up with him? Because I just came right out of the gate with that one. Well, my my feeling is that she's writing because she does genuinely want to salvage something, whether it's a friendship or a relationship of a romantic nature. However, the age gap makes me feel like she might just not have people to ask. And therefore, you know, maybe, maybe our advice will eventually lead to the breakup positively, but uh, you know, I, it's so difficult when it's possibly um, her first boyfriend as well. Um, or this person is very experienced and just likes older men who have never dated anyone. It's such an interesting dynamic that I'm trying. I'm trying to read too much into it. Um, there's not enough information, except for the fact that I think you're spot on. That like this seems like it's an easy one to let go of. Yeah, I, I think I, I have also like fallen into the trap of like. Someone keeps doing something that hurts my feelings and I keep trying to explain it really politely. And I just think next time is going to be the the one. But like, you know, fundamentally, he apologized because he doesn't like seeing you unhappy, but he doesn't change it afterwards. Well, then, you know, he doesn't mind seeing you unhappy that much. Maybe he really doesn't understand, but he does understand that you don't like it. Uh, So I think there's a little a little bit here it feels as if the letter writer has sort of bought into his version of events which is just you know I'd stop doing it if you could persuade me 
that it was the wrong thing to do. But it actually just seems like you're being too sensitive. So as long as I say, I don't understand your feelings, I can keep doing it. Um, He doesn't need to understand exactly how you feel. He knows enough that you don't like it, that you want him to stop, and he keeps doing it. What stood out to me was the usage of honesty. I'm being honest. I'm just telling it like it is. I, Mm -hmm. you know... And that to me says that, you know, I think by 29, you should understand the difference between being honest and being kind. And you can be honest all you want, but it does take a little bit of skill to speak to the truth and use kindness, empathy, sympathy, just to understand how your message is going to be heard. And that's not something that you teach another person in a relationship that is a skill a person has to want to learn. I think, you know what I mean? Like you can point it out as much as you want, but if he isn't learning it, like it's not your job to be the teacher of how to empathize, how to learn, how to speak to the truth without being an asshole. You know, this, this sort of makes again, the age difference, the, you know, the vagueness of it. Not everybody likes a nice partner. Some people do want to be, you know, noted for lack of a better word, because that's how they were raised, right? Like it could be a cultural thing. It could be a familial thing, probably, right? Most In most cases, it's just, this is how I was raised and it doesn't make it correct, but it could also just mean incompatibility. So if she's 20 and, you know, all her friends are going, you know, like self-care, peace, love, everything, and he's 29 and he's, he's you know, scarred by that those extra nine years or whatever, <laughs> he just needs, a, you know, someone his age, maybe, um, who could possibly explain to him <laughs> in, you know, in, in a way that he might understand. I don't know. Um relationships aren't my thing and i and i hesitate i hesitate i hesitate i characters are my thing i like to Mm -hmm. delve into people's like brains and try to figure out like what makes them tick that is why i stay away from people um and try not to inflict my pain on them as much as possible but like these are these are the questions that come up in my in my mind when i when i try to solve this problem for people who don't need my help. (laughs) I do appreciate that, though, because I think I am inclined to read a letter like this one and think, I bet I know exactly what this guy is being rude about, and I bet I know exactly what kind of guy he is in a sort of dismissive Mm. way. And I do appreciate, you know, it is not a universal truth that everybody in a romantic relationship uh, wants the exact same level of, like, tact. So I, I think it's useful to just remind ourselves, like, there may absolutely be people out there who would enjoy the kind of rudeness that he is deploying. We don't know very much at all about what things he is rude about, simply that he is often rude and hurts her feelings. So I don't want to say that automatically makes him, you know, a, a classic jerk boyfriend. Oh my gosh. But for all we for all we know, it's like, um, this grilled cheese isn't the way I like it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But what we do know is that she has said repeatedly, this is hurting my feelings and yes. he's not he's not doing anything differently. So there, I think, is the thing that uh, is worth saying. I don't think lack of explanation is his problem. I don't think he's confused. Um, I don't think you've failed to you know, present your case accurately. You've told him you're hurting my feelings and he has said, 
sorry to hear that. Uh, if only your feelings made more sense to me, I might try to respect them. But since they don't, I won't. And that to me is just like a pretty straightforward indicator that he's he's letting you know he's not going to work on this. You could present him with the most eloquent speech in the world um, and he wouldn't change because you can't substitute for his lack of willingness. Correct. I, I think a good thing to maybe sort of, if this person wants to salvage this or at least try one more thing is go like, why does honesty always mean something hurtful? Like, how, when's the last time you said, can I be honest? I love you so much. Can right. I be honest? You look beautiful. Yeah. Can I be honest? Like, you're, I, I like your friends. I like the war- life you've shown me. Like, if that happened, then it would feel like you actually have some sort of touch with the truth. But mm-hmm. it does sound like a man hiding behind a quote-unquote good attribute. like. I'm hiding behind the fact that I'm I'm an honest guy. Look, I'm just an honest guy. I tell it how it is. Right. But, For know, some like, reason, honesty just means bad things and that you yeah. are worse than you thought you were. Yeah, and I think at 20, you don't realize fully that some people don't know they do that, that they turn themselves into mm-hmm. that somehow for a bit. And And at 20, I think you still are kind of figuring out that people have damage. You know, you might know it, but you may not be able to see every single manifestation of it in your experience. If you're lucky, you know, you don't. Yeah. But uh, Santa's something, right? Yeah. She's noticing something and is yeah. expressing it very eloquently and directly. Yeah. Um, can I be honest? <laughs> me? Yeah, yeah, with me? Yeah. That was an excellent point. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> I felt the same way. I'm so curious what you two thought about that last line. I'm afraid the next time this happens, I'll say something I don't mean. My read there is like, I actually think the letter writer is afraid the next time she'll say something she does mean. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think she's actually afraid of her own anger. For, and asking for help. She goes, please help. Yeah. You know, I'm afraid I'll say something I don't mean. I think letter writer, what you mean is I'm afraid next time I'm going to say something angry to him. And I'm afraid of being discredited because I'm angry. Uh, I'm afraid of being dismissed. I'm afraid that Mm. if he already doesn't take my vulnerability seriously, he's going to take my anger even less seriously. He might condescend to me. He might lash back. Um, So yeah, letter writer, I I, I don't think you're worried you're going to say something you don't mean like you're a delight um, (laughs) or, you know, something else that's that's false. I think you're worried you're going to say to him something like, you're a piece of shit or I don't like you. Or like you're a shitty boyfriend and you're afraid of how he'll respond to your anger, which makes a lot of sense to me. But I don't think you're afraid that you're going to make something up or say something untrue. I think you're afraid that the truth is that you're angry with your boyfriend and you don't want to be because you love him. But yeah, I, I think it's really, really hard to admit I love somebody. I think that they love me. I also think that they've been treating me badly for a while now and they know what they're doing. It's not a mistake. It's not an accident. They weren't confused. They loved me and they were hurting me on purpose because that's very painful. It hurts. It feels threatening to one's sense of stability and, you know, being loved. And and so it makes sense that you would want instead to find refuge in. He just doesn't get it. And and I think that's part of what the like, I'm his first girlfriend thing was meant to do, which is sort of like, he doesn't know what he's doing yet. No one just explained to him that if you're dating someone, you should generally be nice. 
Um, and so he's just like learning and I need to teach him. And it's just like, you actually have spent a lot of time teaching him and he is 29 years old. And my guess is he doesn't have this problem, say with his boss. My guess is when he's at work, he's not always blurting out. I just got to be honest. You look like dog shit. Or I got to be honest, you're just dumb as rocks. Like, I think he actually does know when to put on a filter of tactfulness. And the reason that he's choosing not to do it with you, his girlfriend, I won't try to speculate, but. Yeah. Yeah. We're assuming this person is employed. <laughs> you're right. Uh, he, he, he may very well not be. But, you know, were he to have a boss, my guess is he would not be uh, deploying quite the same sort of like bold truth telling strategy. Uh, he would have a little bit more of a sense of uh, reading the room. So I think letter writer, you can skip the whole conversation where you give him one last chance and you can just say, hey, thanks. It's been mostly a nice year. You're an asshole. <laughs> uh, wow. That's saying something in 2021. <laughs> it's been mostly a nice year, uh, but you're the worst part of it. Gotta go. I meant more in the sense of like, mostly you've been nice. Uh, but you're just, it's not going to be hard, letter writer, to find somebody who makes you spe feel special with compliments and doing little things to you and who doesn't like three times a week say, it's time for me to tell you what's wrong with you. But also we, I'm sorry we're going along on this, but like we have not even considered uh, the pandemic's effect on this relationship. The, the, these could be star-crossed lovers here and he's just, so, he's just worried about the Delta variant. Yeah. I mean, if that's what he's being rude about, yes, I would have a very different answer <laughs> for the sake of time. And also, I think we're, I think it's safe to assume it's not. Fair enough. <laughs> All right, let's move on because our second letter is just real sweet. It just warmed my heart. Um, Anna, would you mind reading it for us? Sure. Subject, clueless. I live in a state where weed is not legal, recreationally or medicinally. My partner and I are interested in smoking for a variety of reasons. Neither of us have ever gotten weed on our own and only smoked a few times as college kids when other people shared it. We do not have friends who smoke. However, our neighbors smoke regularly. We know this because we can smell it periodically through our shared wall. We chatted with them when we first moved in, and we say our hellos in passing, but we don't know them beyond these neighborly niceties. Do we knock on their door and ask them to hook us up with their dealer? How do we go about asking them? Is there another way of finding a dealer? Can you help us with weed etiquette? I found this very charming. I found this very sweet. It, it felt almost like two really good students like we're like, we've written down a, a report. We do have good reasons. We just want you to know there are good reasons. We can list them if, if you need it. And we would just really like to smoke a little bit of weed. Um, yes, letter writers, you have my full permission and support. And yeah. just this is very charming. It did feel a little bit like um, they put us in the, uh, the role of a, uh, a marijuana recommendation doctor. Of just like, I've had it a couple of times in college and I just want to enjoy it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's a good question. It's a very good question and one that like you, I have forgotten that this is an issue. And um, I 
definitely number one, do not recommend knocking on their door. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, you know, in a in a state where it's not legal, it might also be very normal to be friendly with your neighbors in that way. Oh, sure. I mean, don't knock on their door. Go, I need you have weed. You that smell would be it and knock on their door. That That's would be bad. That's that would bad. be very frightening to to them, I assume. Um, but maybe if you see them in the hallway and you give them a smile or, um, you know, they ask you a question about, you know, did you also uh, not have hot water this morning? Yes. Thank you for asking. And also, you know, I have a question feel better for about you. that little uh, little, uh, you know. Yeah, I, I mean, I do. I do agree that knocking on the door would be a little bit out of nowhere. But generally, I would say, you know, these people, you see them, you have like a distant, if friendly relationship, you know, they smoke weed. Like generally as a question of etiquette, I think it would be fine if you're like chatting in the hall and you're like, I'm so sorry if this is like overly forward. But it seems like maybe you smoke weed sometimes. We would love to get yeah. in on that. Like, you can be a little ch- like cheesy about it, but absolutely. If somebody's friendly and you know party. they smoke weed, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's great. That's that's exactly what I was thinking. Anna. Throw a just, party. Just have a party. Tell your neighbors you're having a party. You know, the worst worst thing that could happen is they don't show up and you just have a couple of drinks. But I mean, I hate to say it, the worst over, thing that could happen is it turns into a super spreader event. Oh, oh that's yeah. fair. Oh, sure, sure. sure. <laughs> that's fair. See again, you know, I, I I'm I'm looking at these questions with a completely like fictional <laughs> point of view, <laughs> not taking into account everything that's actually happening. Okay, you're right. In a very socially distanced, responsible manner, knock on the door and step away from that door. Make sure there's six <laughs> feet between you. And but whisper, stage whisper at them. Mm-hmm. You understand things are stressful right now. That is why we are talking in this way. And I would love your assistance. I think this is very sweet. It's very awkward and very sweet. Um, for whatever it's worth, this did, I've, I've been out of the game for a little while, but I did look up. There are f- apparently five states uh, where weed is still fully illegal across the board. Wow. Uh, it's Idaho, Wyoming, Kansas, Tennessee, and South Carolina. So those are, it's one of those five states. Um, The good news is all of those states border other states uh, where marijuana is often uh, decriminalized and also available either recreationally or medicinally. So again, I don't want to say like throw a big party, take trips across state lines like willy nilly. But, you know, if, if it is not difficult, if you live near a border and you're able to, you know, do a little Googling and be like, oh, there's a dispensary across state lines. I wonder if I feel comfortable driving with a little weed in my car. That is a personal risk that different people might assess differently. That is one option that you might take. Um, there's also, you know, with the farm bill, there are ways in which some Delta 8 products are like technically legal, even in places where Delta 9 products are not. Um, feel free to go down that rabbit hole, uh, letter writer, if you want to spend a lot of time kind of figuring out various niceties. There's also a subreddit just called Trees. Um, I don't normally recommend Reddit to people who write in, but like, you know, it, it's a fairly like comprehensive kind of group of people who will have lots of thoughts about like how to ask for weed without feeling like a total creep um, and without sounding like a narc, um, which maybe these letter writers are going to need a little extra 
coaching on. Not that you are narcs, letter writer. It's just, it's hard to say, hi, do you have weed without feeling bad? I love, I love these practical bits of advice for how to commit a crime in a safe way. Because it shouldn't be criminalized, but, but the reality is it is. And that's why these nice people have to jump through all these hoops yeah, and are worried about it. And I do think the likeliest result of asking your neighbors, even if it's a little awkwardly, as long as you kind of smile and acknowledge that it's a little bit awkward, it's going to be at the worst case scenario, they're going to be like, oh, sorry, like we don't have any extra, you know, but they'll be nice. Weed people are usually pretty friendly. And if you're already Mm -hmm. friendly with a weed person and you ask them about weed, usually the response is like very nice, very effusive. Uh, Maybe even like, I'm going to talk to you a lot about the difference between sativa and indica to the extent that you're sort of like, this is more than I wanted. Um, But it's, it's rare. Like if you were looking for cocaine, I would have different advice because cocaine people can get kind of snappy sometimes. Um, (laughs) But you're, they're, they're going to be probably pretty warm. Yeah. Probably the worst, worst scenario is they'll, they'll charge you a finder's fee or something. Yeah. And I say all of this not knowing much about the letter writers, like where they live in which state or what their other sort of like risk factors are. So like all I'll speak to that again is just letter writer, you know, you know your own sort of safety better than I do. Um, Don't do anything that makes you feel like this risk is too high for me to shoulder or, you know, I fear something really bad might happen if I were potentially pulled over in this situation. Uh, I just, I don't have enough to go on there to say either like do or don't pursue any other fronts, just those would be my backup suggestions if things don't work out with the neighbors. Also though, you know, you say you don't know anyone who smokes weed. Maybe you really don't, but like, I bet you know somebody who smokes weed occasionally and just doesn't really talk about it. So you might also want to canvas your close friends and just say like, sorry if this is out of nowhere, but to any of you guys happen to smoke a little weed or know where I might be able to get some. Again, unless your friends are like pretty specific people, the worst that will happen is they will say, no, sorry manifest definitely manifest it speak it out loud <laughs> and somebody will be like in yeah in front I know of a, a police station yes. just kidding but yeah um you know beyond that is there another way of finding a dealer go to a concert go to literally any concert mm-hmm. a live music and event a, a, again i don't know if there's a lot on near you right now letter writer but like if you can go to an outdoor concert go to an outdoor concert it doesn't have to be fish like it can just be any musician maybe not the philharmonic Um, not because I don't think people there smoke weed. I just think that they like keep it to themselves and they don't share, um, which is a stereotype, maybe unfair. I love it when, I love it when polite people want to do something naughty. It always, it always ends with what is the proper etiquette for this? (laughs) It's really sweet. Like I really want, I, I, I really, not only do I want them to be able to get some, I want them to like write back after they do and say like, here's how it went. Boy, oh boy, yeah. did oh, we get high. Yes, <laughs> yes clueless, please write back. <laughs> Actually, yeah. it turns out my neighbors just own a pet skunk. Sorry. <laughs> that would be almost as good, though, if you found out that your neighbors had a pet skunk that you could play with. Or there's just a skunk in the building. All within the realm of possibility. And everybody's just paranoid that everyone else is smoking weed in the building, but it's just a sad little skunk <laughs> scurrying around looking for little snacks. My like last thought here is I don't know how long ago college was for you, letter writer, but you know, if you remember anyone who smoked you out in college, by all means hit them up. 
um, if you still have their numbers and just be like, hey, man, remember that one time we smoked pot eight years ago? Too many left. <laughs> I mean, again, it's going to sound and feel a little goofy, but as long as you're friendly and, you know, also like say, how you doing? Let's catch up um, and yeah. don't treat it like a purely transactional thing. Like, you know, people like getting weed to other people. Oh, yeah. And it's a, t- it's a time of reopening. So why not, you know, do something social? And while you're at it, try ketamine. <laughs> it's a great drug. Makes you feel terrific. I recommend it. Uh, as always, anyone listening, feel free not to take our advice. If you would like to take no drugs, you should take no drugs. And of course, you should always uh, do your own research about the various risks uh, beforehand. But, you know, generally speaking, I think it's fine to consider taking new drugs. Yeah. There's a great book that I also want to recommend to uh, these letter writers just for like expanded reading. It's by Piero Camparese and it's called Bread of Dreams. Um, and he was a, an Italian scholar um, who, who published this book, I think back in the 80s, about uh, you know the degree to which pre-industrial Europeans used drugs and talks a lot about, you know, his argument is that, you know, for a lot of people, um, it was a near constant state of uh, hallucination and intoxication. Um, And it's a really interesting uh, series of claims. Obviously, uh, you know, I I think that his uh, historical arguments are provocative, but he also has a lovely style of writing. Um, which is sometimes difficult to come by in, in writing about drugs. Um, and yeah, I, I think it's just interesting to think about the historical context of people like drugs. Often people will do a lot to try to acquire drugs, and it's really interesting to talk about and think about that as a reality rather than something that must be forestalled or stopped at all costs. Listen, if you're listening to the show right now and you are a person in STEM, if you would like to write and tell us a little bit about your relationship to mind-altering substances, frankly, I'd love to hear from you. Also, just generally let me know how you're doing because I've just realized I don't have a lot of friends who are, you know, chemists or anything and I should really be expanding my horizons. That's a whole podcast. <laughs> Befriend a chemist with Daniel M. Lavery. I yeah, really like yeah. That. yeah. Think of it. I mean, yeah, talking to ke- talking to people in STEM about being on drugs. Yeah, what could go just, wrong? Oh, I just meant specifically like trying to become friends with chemists and be like, and oh. what potions have you been making lately? I don't understand your wizardry. <laughs> I want to leave this one behind us because I'm aware that uh, we have a lightning round question to get to. Oh, oh right. And so yes. we're going we're gonna to move Adam's out of open-ended for stuff. questions. <laughs> Good. Okay. Um, then I will, in a moment, um, I'll read this question for you. This is your first time hearing it. You'll take a second, gather your thoughts, get ready. And then when you are ready, I will set the clock and you will have one minute to give it your best answer. Sorry, it's a little unfair with the duo because you get, you know, half the time, but life's not fair, I guess. <laughs> no. No, it's not. <laughs> no, it's not. No, it's not. All right. So the question is train wreck spotting. I've been friends with Anne, Ken, and Laura for about a year. When we met, I knew Ken and Laura were dating and that Anne and Ken were friends. But later I found out that not only was Anne in an open marriage, Ken was her boyfriend. The problem is that Anne thinks Ken and Laura have broken up so that Ken could be with Anne, when this is definitely not the case. I don't think Ken knows that I know that he and Anne are still together, and he's asked me in the past to keep Laura a secret from Anne. This whole situation feels gross to me. 
especially considering the fact that Laura wants to move in with Ken and Anne wants her husband to transfer at his job so she can be closer to Ken too. I have no issue with polyamory. I just don't like the dishonesty here. I don't know what to do, but I feel like saying nothing may make me complicit in the inevitable fallout. Take a minute. I'll, I'll tell you right now, I still can't keep track of who Anne and Ken and Laura are <laughs> yeah, in terms same. of their relationships to each other. So I would say just, no. just embrace the fuzziness there. My headphone went out for a second. I, I was like, is it that? No, it's just this is a mess. This is a complete mess. Uh, stay out of it at all costs. Yeah. Inevitable. You said it right. Inevitable fallout. Get out. Seek higher ground. Get away from these people before they turn you into one of them. And you're in the quadrangle now. Just get out. There's got to be other people to talk to. That was amazing. That was 20 seconds. Do you guys want to keep going? Because you have another nope. 40. Okay. Get out. <laughs> <Okay>. Please. Seek <laughs> shelter. Air get raid. Out Air now. raid. Get out now. <laughs> leave. Beautiful. Just leave. <laughs> All right. Well, in that spirit, I'm going to try to finish mine in 30 seconds. I'm going to start my clock now. Um, I think that's great. All that I will add to that uh, is maybe you have grounds to say to Ken, hey, man, when you asked me to keep Laura a secret from Anne, that was a fucked up and dishonest thing to do. I'm not going to do that. And don't ask me again to lie for you. That's a bad thing to do. You should not have done it. That was not a good friendship moment. Uh, you don't have to then go spill the beans to the other two if you don't want to certainly can. Um, don't expect to be thanked for it. That's it. My timer went off. Um, ding, ding, ding. That's, yeah, perfect. Yeah. Yeah, Boy. just gather them all together, tell them all what happened, no, and then get gone. out. No, timer's gone. It's gone. We've done. Timer's gone. We'll, we'll never be able to say. We'll I was never. just thinking about a situation this reminded me of with my friends, Can, Len, and Kara. It was a very, <laughs> very bad moment, and uh, I'm ashamed of myself. Adam and Anna, Thank you so much for taking the time today to advise people um, and and for your own, you know, uh, generosity uh, of time and energy and and careful thought. I'm so grateful to you both. This was so this was so much fun to, to talk to you, Daniel. And uh, it was a <laughs> it was a, a harrowing experience. But I hope we helped. I hope we helped. I hope we helped. He hopes he helps. We hope I help. <laughs> I also hope the same thing. Um, before I let you go, is there anything coming up for either of you that you would like to plug? Are there ways that listeners can, uh, you know, hear more from you if they are so inclined? Um, yeah, please go to lefthandedradio.com and you'll be up to date on everything always. Yeah. And if you want to follow us on Instagram at lefthandedradio, that's a good way too. You know, it's funny. Nobody, nobody, uh, nobody likes these calls to action. They just kind of go, "Thanks for letting me know." Yeah, <laughs> and, then, and then continue uh, with their day. So, um, but if you do have a couple of extra dollars to spend on radio sketch comedy, you can go to Patreon.com/slash/LeftHandedRadio and support us there. Yeah, if you like. But honestly, just listen to the show yeah. and rate and review it. That'd be helpful. Yeah. Um, yeah. Support our dream. Yeah. If you have any cash left over from supporting your wife's business, please. Here's the, here, yeah, here's the thing. Listen to the show. You'll probably have a good time and yep. then make your decisions from there. But the first first step, which we, we always forget to say, listen to listen the to show. It. Listen to it. 
Start with a free sample before you start charging for the week. There's mostly free circle. samples. The Trader Joe's model. You know, we were talking about the business model. We were like, you know, all of our stuff is free except for the first like couple of years of the show that most people don't know about unless they were already fans. We are terrible at running our business. <laughs> Go. Go. <laughs> Glad we gave such business, all that business advice earlier. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm very grateful to you. I think it was uh, extremely helpful and considerate. So again, thank you both. Have a fabulous rest of your afternoon and I'll see you around soon. Bye. Thank you, Daniel. Thanks for joining us on Big Mood, Little Mood with me, Danny Lavery. Our producer is Phil Circus, who also composed our theme music. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to slate.com slash mood to sign up, to subscribe, or hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you're using right now. Also, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts if you get a minute. We'd love to know what you think. If you want more Big Mood, Little Mood, you should join Slate Plus, Slate's membership program. Members get an extra episode of Big Mood, Little Mood every Friday, and you'll get to hear more advice and conversations and interview questions with our guests. And as a Slate Plus member, you'll also be supporting the show. Go to slate.com forward slash mood plus to sign up. It's just $1 for your first month. If you need some little advice or big advice and you'd like me to read your letter on the show, head to slate.com slash mood to find our big mood, little mood listener question form or find a link in the description of the platform you're using right now. Thanks for listening. And here's a preview of our Slate Plus episode coming this Friday. But there must be a way to do an exit or a pause and reassess and figure out what works best for this couple. Because if they don't, then the relationship fails. And that is probably going to hurt more than a failure on the business side of things. I, I think that's so true. And I know I, I, I really appreciate what you had said earlier, in part because I think it's, it's really important to bear in mind lots of businesses struggle, not because the CEO or the owner is bad at what they do, but simply because like life and markets and capitalism are difficult. So I, I'm glad that you were bringing that back to the forefront. Um, and I, I think it's it's not that the letter writer's wife has been unable to like bring in a ton of money the last year and a half that makes me think like, oh, that's lousy. That's totally understandable. It's the, we've got to keep borrowing money. We've got to keep funneling more money in. I will not talk to you about what my backup or contingency plans are. I'm not willing to consider alternate strategies. To listen to the rest of that conversation, join Slate Plus now at slate.com forward slash mood.